This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Sarah Swain, Democratic nominee for Kansas Attorney General. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you. So Sarah, to start, could you tell us why you decided to jump into this race in the first place? What's so important about this position? Well, everything is important about this position. Um, I think as we have seen the Donald Trump presidency take full effect in Washington, D.C., as we're certainly seeing today with um, the Brent Kavanaugh nomination and possible confirmation to the Supreme Court. There really is no time in history that I have ever felt like it was more important for the people in this country to get involved and as a criminal defense attorney, I'm someone who is very involved. I'm on the front lines of the criminal justice system in Kansas. And I have just seen a real failure of the criminal justice system in Kansas. And so I threw my hat into the ring to become the next attorney general of Kansas because I want to, I want to change the, the, course of Kansas's future. And I want to take us from being just another state that is investing in incarceration, ramping up the war on drugs, um, furthering the ends of, of mass incarceration in our jails and our prisons. And, and I want to take us in a different direction. And so that's why I decided to run for Attorney General of Kansas. And what can you do as Attorney General to move your state in a different direction? Well, I think I think the possibilities are endless. We, we have a, an Attorney General currently who has chosen to use the office as a tool of discrimination. He recently joined a lawsuit that would allow employers to fire employees um, who are transgender. Things like this are not what I see as a valuable use of our precious resources in the Attorney General's office. Um, Kansas is not about hate and having public officials that are backing policies that are openly discriminatory against segments of our population are all policies that I do not agree with. So I think when you ask the question of, you know, what would you do as attorney general, it also has to sort of include what would you not do? We have an attorney general in office who joined the lawsuit to try to have Obamacare declared unconstitutional. So once again, these are not things that I would do. I'm here to help the people of Kansas. I'm here to help more people get access to health care, not less. I'm here to lower 
our population of inmates in our jails and our prisons. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing we can do is legalize marijuana. I don't necessarily have the power to do that in the stroke of a pen as Kansas Attorney General, but I can promise you that when elected, I will be an outspoken advocate for full legalization of marijuana. I believe that we owe that to our sick that should have the right to use that as their medicine if they choose to. I believe we owe it to our veterans who should be allowed to use cannabis to treat their post-traumatic stress disorder if they choose to do that. And I believe that we owe it to the citizens of Kansas who will only benefit from the economy and the financial gain that could come from sensible marijuana regulation. Legalize it, tax it, use the money we get to fund our schools, to fund our schools fully, to pay our teachers better, to invest in rehabilitation centers where people with addiction issues can go and get help instead of sending them to prison where we are spending as citizens 40 plus thousand dollars a year to incarcerate people that could just as easily be helped by outpatient or inpatient treatment. So these are just a few of the ideas that I have for a progressive attorney general's office in Kansas. So what I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you don't really have, you don't agree with the punishment first punitive system that we have in place right now that aims to respond to everything with incarceration. Would, would you say that's right? Well, incarceration is not the answer. I don't even know what the question is, but I can tell you that incarceration is not the answer. Part of my run for attorney general was prompted by a local um, sales tax initiative that started early this year where our local county commission was trying to ram through a $44 million jail expansion, building a, a gigantic new jail in the county that I live and where my law office is located. And one of the things that I learned after I went to the county commission meeting and I told the county commissioners that I was going to be an outspoken opponent of that jail expansion and that I was going to actively campaign against it. And then, and then that's exactly what I did. I, I started getting involved in the community. I went to community meetings. I educated the public about my view of what the problems were in the criminal justice system. And I also educated myself and, and a, a statistic that I ran across um, was something that, that really stood out to me as a 17 year criminal defense attorney. And that was the idea that the statistics have shown that as we have really bought into as a whole, as a country, this idea of just lock everybody up, be tough on crime, seek longer sentences, put more people behind bars. We have not made ourselves any safer. The science has shown, studying all of the statistics has shown that going from 300,000 people incarcerated to the 2.3 million people we have incarcerated in this country today, 
has done nothing to lower the rates of violent crimes or of any kind of crimes. So if we're not locking more people up to make ourselves more safe, why are we doing it? Um, and if we're not making ourselves more safe, why aren't we exploring other avenues of dealing with people in the criminal justice system that could in fact make us safer as a society? And so I'm just here as a voice of common sense to raise some alternatives that most people involved in the system don't seem to be interested in listening to, which is why we need outsiders to get involved. We need people to get registered and go vote on November 6th and bring the blue, the blue wave to Kansas. Elect some progressives that are going to get into office and do something other than just abiding by the status quo because um, that's what Sarah Swain for Attorney General is here for, is to breathe, breathe new life into the Attorney General's office in Kansas and to use it as a tool for the little people that's actually looking for ways to help the people of Kansas instead of looking for ways to just put more money in the pockets of my friends, which is what most politicians seem to be most interested in these days. And what alternatives to incarceration do you promote or do you want to explore? Well, I promote all alternatives to incarceration. Um, first, I think that there needs to be a significant overhaul of the bail system in the state of Kansas. It was an idea that was hotly debated during um, the, the jail expansion campaign that I was speaking about because as my government officials kept telling me that the jail was overcrowded and and the citizens really had no choice but to support this, I was always the voice of figuring out ways for there to be fewer people in jail instead of figuring out ways to build a bigger space to hold more people. And it, the very most basic initial idea is how do we stop so many people from getting involved in the jail system to begin with? And that would be setting up a system in Kansas that would never force people that are charged with misdemeanors or low-level felonies to ever have contact with the jail. Um, statistics have shown that even a, a very short contact with jail, such as someone who is arrested and booked into jail, even if it's for a minor offense, that person is 30% more likely to have future contacts with the law. So that would indicate to me that we would be doing ourselves a great service to find ways to be able to ticket people, give them notices to appear without ever actually having them go inside the walls of a jail. I also support an end to the war on drugs in Kansas. I think legalizing marijuana, um, pumping money into our economy that allows us to focus on rehabilitation, um, and then looking at ways to get the people out of jail that are in there doing long stretches for nonviolent, victimless crimes. These are sort of the initial ways that I see of reducing our populations. But I think there are innumerable ways that we can do that. It really just requires people being dedicated to that idea 
of reducing our, our jail and prison populations. And so electing, finding out where your candidate stands on the ideas of mass incarceration, of the war on drugs, of legalization of marijuana. These are, these are topics that I would encourage people to educate themselves on so they can make the best decisions possible come November. I'm glad you hit upon how incarcerated people are kind of barred from society, being a part of society itself. One of the key elements there is what's known as civil death, in which when someone is convicted of a felony, they lose the right to vote, sometimes permanently, depending on the state. Do you think that it's appropriate to strip anyone of the right to vote? Well, Jordan, I believe that is just another tool in the toolbox of the patriarchal system. And the patriarchal system is one that um, was made and, and continues to exist to keep the white male pa- patriarchal structure, power structure in place. And so, of course, stripping anyone who has been involved in the criminal justice system or who has felonies or who is incarcerated, stripping those people of their right to vote certainly lends nicely to allowing the white male patriarchal power structure to continue. Um, so of course, I in no way support anything that makes it more difficult for people to vote, that strips people of their right to vote. Voting is what is going to save us. I talk to every single person that I come into contact with, especially people that have been involved in the system, because in the state of Kansas, You are allowed to vote even if you have a felony on your record as long as you are not currently incarcerated or currently on some sort of supervision, which the vast majority of people are not. So it's not just about not having the rules that restrict people's voting rights, but I think it's always about making sure that individuals are educating themselves about their ability to vote and really then taking advantage of those rights. Um, I, I would be interested to see what the statistics show about the number of people that have felonies on their record that think still that they're not allowed to vote because of that. So I do as much education as I can via social media and just person to person contact, making sure that people know um, what their rights are when it comes to that. I'm sure you know Recently, there was a nationwide prison strike. Voting rights were part of the set of demands. Are you familiar with the prison strike? I am only familiar with it um, it, uh, in the sense that I'm aware that it happened. But in terms of any of the particular details of it, I'm not. So there's definitely too much to cover uh, just in one episode, but one demand I'd like to look at is an end to slave labor. The demand specifically says that all incarcerated people should be paid the prevailing wage in the state or territory they are incarcerated in. Is that something you would agree with? Well, I support I support a complete um, restructuring of our prison system in this country. I, there's nothing about prison labor that I support. There's nothing about taking incarcerated people that are held against their will and, and 
forcing them to work for pennies on the dollar that I find fair, that I find moral, that I find ethical. I find it gross and disgusting and I think it's a human rights violation. We have we have to treat them like that when they are behind bars if we expect them to be able to be part of our society. So I could not be more opposed than I am to the idea of incarcerated workers being exploited for the gains of, you know, gigantic corporations. I think the the biggest question this gets down to is what exactly is crime? What exactly should be dealt with by our legal system in society? And why? What could our legal system actually do to help rectify these problems, to help bring justice? Well, first, it's a great question. These are the kind of questions that I enjoy being asked because it's sort of the way that my brain works. I've been involved up to my eyeballs for 17 years. My sleeves rolled up in the mud, just just fighting desperately day in and day out, trying to save my clients' lives, trying to keep my clients from going to prison for the rest of their life, trying to keep my clients from losing their jobs or their careers that they've spent their whole lives building. I do not support the criminalization of everything. It seems to be the direction that our system has been moving towards for a long time. Um, We need fewer crimes, not more. We need more things decriminalized than we need criminalized. Our criminal justice system used to be a place that took people who were veering off the path of being productive citizens and helped them, gave them services, created opportunities for them, showed them the way to being better, more productive, more engaged citizens. 15 years ago, our system stopped being that. And since then, our system has turned into a place of retribution and hatred and fear and discrimination. And and we've lost track of what it is to be a criminal justice system that's here for the people, to help the people, to make us safer. Money is the, the root of all of these problems. Because instead of, t- instead of taking $42,000 a year and using that to put someone in jail who can't afford to have a suspended license um, or who can't afford to get their license reinstated. So they're driving on a suspended license and they, they get a ticket for that. And in the state of Kansas, they can be facing up to a year in jail for that, which means we're going to spend $42,000. How much less money could we spend providing that person with the services they would need to be able to continue to work and provide for themselves and provide for their family and put food on the table. It's not rocket science what we're talking about here. It's just having a system designed to help the people instead of having a system designed to control certain segments of our population. Obviously, much of this is a racial justice issue. What proposals are you putting forth 
to further the cause of racial justice? And how would you work with racial justice leaders and groups in your community as Attorney General? Well, this might be one of my favorite topics to address because I believe it's a topic that has to be addressed. It's almost 2019. It's time for us to address the issue of racial justice in the criminal justice system. And I, I have a lot of proposals for doing that. In many ways, I have been um, described by my opponents as being anti-law enforcement. I disagree with that label because I don't believe that I'm anti-law enforcement. What I am is I believe in fairness and I believe in the truth. And I believe in justice. And I believe in many, 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 many instances, our law enforcement community is a community that has lost track of those principles because nobody makes their way into the system without contact with law enforcement. So the beginning of the pipeline in my mind, starts with law enforcement and with a true retraining of our law enforcement officers. So ending the war on drugs, retraining our law enforcement officers, making sure that our law enforcement officers are keeping very specific, detailed statistics about the race of people that they are getting involved with and when there are police departments that are showing themselves to be acting in a way that seems to suggest racial bias we need to make sure that those that those agencies are being held accountable for that the government funded innocence project because as an attorney who has represented numerous individuals over the years who I believed were innocent, I believe that it's important that our government is not just in the business of putting people in jail or prison, but also that our government is in the business of finding people that have been wrongfully convicted and incarcerated and getting those people out of jail. Um, in terms of racial justice when it comes to the legalization of marijuana. I believe that programs that go back and wipe convictions off of people's records, expunge convictions, that has to be part of um, a, a real push in any state towards racial justice when it comes to the idea of marijuana legalization or decriminalization because, once again, the statistics all show that the, the communities of color are where the brunt of the um, sort of consequences of the war on drugs has fallen. So those are just a few of the ideas I have towards making it a more fair criminal justice system and one that is working towards a more fair system of racial justice. And what, if any, role do you think police have in a just criminal justice system? I believe that ending the war on drugs and returning police back to people who believe it's their job to assist 
the citizens of their communities where they live is is the place of the police in 2018. We have to demilitarize our police. We have to stop allowing them to act like they are military forces walking into people's houses and executing them. This is this is not what law enforcement ever should have become. And law enforcement needs to be returned to the days of them being here to protect and serve the communities. I can't stress it enough. Ending the war on drugs will make the jobs of police safer. It will make our communities safer. It will lower rates of incarceration across the board. And I think in, in the next five years, we will have... Um, I think we'll have close to full legalization throughout the country. And as we get closer to that, we're going to have to decide as a nation what direction we want to see our police go in. And I hope that, that the direction that they choose or that we choose for them is the direction of demilitarizing them and making sure that they are here to protect us and and not harm us. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Those in power are often committing the abuses that we're asking them to hold in check. I'm curious about how you think we should be approaching domestic abuse. You may know that research shows that domestic violence is two to four times higher in law enforcement families than the general population, yet law enforcement is tasked with dealing with domestic violence. It's another example of everything else that you and I have talked about here today, and that is how do you put a group of people, i.e. law enforcement, who we know themselves are more likely to engage in domestic violence in charge of enforcing domestic violence laws? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's a question as a country that we have to answer. This Brett Kavanaugh saga that we've all been watching, this, this awful display of the white male patriarchal power structure 
Um, domestic violence is just another example of sort of what I feel like is this last gasp of men maintaining the power that they have. We have to create an environment where women feel safe coming forward and making reports. That's obviously not an environment that we have created up to this point in our country. Um, all you have to do is look on social media and see the floods of women coming forward with their stories of abuse and sexual assault and mistreatment at the hands of men to know that this is a real problem that we have in this country. And the first thing we have to do is create an environment where women feel safe disclosing that. I don't know what that environment is, but I do know that the current environment of having, you know, law enforcement officers standing at the door that, that look like uh, military officers that, that have automatic weapons is probably not the best way to make women feel safe and listened to. So one marginalized community that's under assault we haven't really covered is the undocumented community. We have seen this not only under Donald Trump, but also under Barack Obama, who deported more people than almost all other presidents in United States history combined. What would you do to protect the undocumented community in your state? It's a great question, especially in light of the fact that one of our gubernatorial candidates, Chris Kobach, has made a name for himself, not just in Kansas, but around the entire country, as an architect of laws, almost all of which have later been found to be unconstitutional, that seek to greatly expand the power of law enforcement to stop, question, frisk, take into custody people who may or may not be here legally. I have positioned myself in such a way that it's entirely possible that come November 6th that I'm elected Attorney General of Kansas while Chris Kobach is elected Governor of Kansas and Governor of Kansas with prompt multiple promises having been made during his campaign that he's here to double down on all of his right-wing ideological positions, one of which being that um, we have to secure our borders and, and treat these people terribly and separate them from their families and so on and so forth. It's entirely possible that I would have to sue Chris Kobach um, because I'm not here to allow people to be treated that way. Um, I don't agree with Donald Trump's position on immigration. I don't agree with Chris Kobach's view on immigration. And I believe that immigrants make our country great. Um, now is not the time for any white people to be acting like um, we have more right to be here than anyone else. I think that the only mechanism is making a safe and easy path to citizenship for as many people as we possibly can, but that's going to have to be something that comes from Washington, D.C. And in the meantime, I will do everything in my power that I can to help protect um, undocumented immigrants that are here in the state of Kansas if elected attorney general. And I assume that would include ending cooperation with ICE on a state level? Well, 
I am incredibly opposed to ICE and almost all of its policies. So I would do everything within my power as Attorney General to not offer assistance to ICE. And my last question, uh, one I think you'll appreciate, is how can folks support your campaign and where can they find you online? There's a few things that people can do. First and foremost, I need, I need financial support. I'm a, a progressive. I am not being supported by the Democratic Party or the Republican Party in the state of Kansas due to the views that, that I have, that, that I've expressed. Financial support is key to me having the ability to really compete. People can donate on my website, which is Sarah Swain for Attorney General. That's S-A-R-A-H-S-W-A-I-N for AttorneyGeneral.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Sarah Swain for Attorney General. There's a donate button there also. Um, Financial donations are greatly appreciated. The other thing that every single person that listens to this can do, that I would ask you to do, I would beg you to do, is text 10 people that you know say, the election's coming up. Are you registered to vote? Can I help you get registered to vote? Is there anything I can do to help you? Make sure that you're getting out, to getting your ballots cast early, getting your friends to the polls, getting your grandparents to the polls, getting your parents, get, get everyone you know to the polls. That's the most important thing that people can do. And Jordan, I appreciate you having me on and, and giving me the opportunity to talk. And um, obviously, listening to this, educating yourself and or um, sharing this on social media so that other people can educate themselves. Those are those are all things that, that people can do to get involved and, and help me get elected. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on to the podcast. And we hope to get you on again in November after you are elected Attorney General. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate it. I would I would um, love to come back on anytime. I've, I've enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I think our listeners will enjoy as well. And to said listeners, as always, to keep up to date with the Millennial Politics podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow Millennial Politics on social media, and tune into the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.